right, everyone. Welcome back to the BeFit Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Murphy, joined here with Tyler Simmet. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Tyler, there's a there's a long list of things to introduce him, but I'd like him to tell his story. Doctor of physical therapy, um, just retired from the army as a captain. Accolades just continue to go. He has a book. DR 145 talking about when he volunteered for hurricane relief for hurricane Sandy. It's just an incredible, incredible human. And I'll tell you a little secret about halfway through the podcast about how we're connected, but <clears throat> I'm so excited to have you here and, uh, and really appreciate you coming on to, to tell your story. Thanks man. Yeah. It's been quite a journey and it feels like a strange point in my life right now where I've gone through, um, a lot and especially in the past year or so. And, and I don't know how much you want me to talk about that or kind of touch into that. But um, yeah, it's there's been a lot that's happened in my life and in the way I view it, it's been gifted to me in many ways. I mean, I've worked hard, but there's been so many blessings and gifts along the way that have kind of, and people that have kind of lit the way. And it, uh, you know, from a prof professional sense, I would say, probably started um, by making the decision to go into the army. So I went to Washington state for undergrad. Um, I want to, I want to back up more than yeah, that. I want oh, okay. people to hear more of your story. Growing up, you were an athlete growing up. You were always in physically good shape. You realized that training is going to put you in a good standpoint for the sports that you were playing. You were an incredible athlete. I want to talk about kind of that side of it. Maybe that's like that discipline side and then go on to college and then with the book and everything else from there. But can I talk about your upbringing? Where were you born and raised and, and what was that like? Yeah. So I grew up in Spokane, Washington. Um, my dad was a, when I was born, he was a professional motocross racer and supercross. And so he was pretty intense dude, ended up getting out of it. And then, um, my, my dad, or sorry, my grandpa on my mom's side, is uh, he was my football and wrestling coach in high school. And then his son, my uncle, was a college football player and very successful. And so I had some amazing role models to kind of look up to and, and a, a really strong competitive drive, right? And that's kind of uh, became my obsession a little bit in high school with wrestling in particular. You know, it'd be you put all of this work uh, into a wrestling season and you're cutting weight and you're really you're really just uh, giving up your life in, in some sense. Uh, and it would be the best feeling ever when you won and then the worst feeling ever when you lost. And so I just got addicted to that winning feeling though and was chasing that kind of high. Uh, unfortunately, along that journey, I think I missed being a kid a little bit and just was too like serious, too business-like. And... Um, that's, you know, getting into college, something I figured out, uh, along the way, but I had a lot of success and a lot of fun in those sports. And I think it, they built an incredible foundation to, to come off of, uh, or to continue to build on. And so when I got to college, I joined, a ended up joining a fraternity and transferred a lot of those leadership skills into the fraternity. I think, you know, fraternities, a lot of times they get a bad rap in the sense of, uh, they're, you know, they're just a bunch of jocks that want to go party. And 
ours, um, and maybe some are more like that than others. Ours <laughs> was not, uh, we were a dry house. And so we couldn't actually drink inside the house. We had, if we want to have functions and stuff, it was like the older guys places, the live outs. And so we were pretty focused on what we wanted to do. And a big component of that was, was service. And it was, uh, we have a whole, you know, ritual aspect to what we do when there's, uh, the principles of leadership, but that John Wooden created, he was a member of my fraternity for those aren't, that aren't familiar. He's a, uh, one of the most successful college basketball coach of all time. He won 10 national championships in a row at UCLA and one of the best leaders of all time, in my opinion. So I went to a leadership institute that he had, him and his wife had started that has betas from all over the country coming in and kind of teaching us those principles and was able to take a lot of those messages back to the fraternity. And that was my favorite part of it. And I, that's when I started digging deeper into kind of, not just being successful, but what kind of impact do I want to make on people's lives? And, and what, what, what am I doing here basically, you know, and, and getting down to the root of what makes me happy and, and what, uh, yeah, how I want to use this time in college. It's a, you know, important time to kind of set up the trajectory of my life. And one thing that kind of turned that around even more was I had a fraternity brother that uh, his mom had worked for the American Red Cross and Hurricane Sandy hit New York and a lot of the East Coast in, I want to say it, this was 2012. And we ended up going there our junior year during our Christmas break and uh, just helping in any way we could. We were uh, We were doing a lot, but it was just like 12, 14 hour days and just all around New York driving in New York was crazy for me because I'm like used to my little white Subaru in Pullman, Washington, which is freaking Farmville. And I'm going like driving around these food trucks and like rented Penske's full of equipment and gear around Times Square. And it was just like the most intimidating thing, but it was such a beautiful experience. Um, in the sense that it filled me with something like I got done with that. And I was like, something is different. And it wasn't like an immediate change in my life after that, um, experience, but I was so filled with what I view now as like spirit and love and, and just the ability to touch someone or, or reach a handout when they're at their lowest point and also see like when they're seemingly like at their lowest point, how they could keep it together. They could keep such a strong, um, if they have the right perspective, you know, they still have their, a lot of them still had their community. They still had their people. And they realized that was the most important thing, even though their cars were getting washed away, they might've lost their homes, they, they were maintaining their faith. And that had a huge impact on me and, and ended up being uh, a long journey after that and changing my uh, kind of perspective on what I wanted to do in life. I changed my major, which I was a junior, so it freaked a lot of people out in my family. And and kind of uh, long story short, ended me on a path of the military and uh, becoming a physical therapist in the military. And I went to Baylor, Army Baylor University. It's like one of the top five ranked physical therapy schools in the country and basically applied off the street. But you get in, you're immediately in the army. And so we'd go to class dressed in our uniform and stuff, and we were on base. And so it was very much a military school, but it's through Baylor um, and was fortunate enough. My wife was, she was a Navy student that was in the class 
so I was fortunate enough to, uh, meet her there. And then, uh, we, uh, yeah, we kind of have made the, some distance and some difficulty working now, but now that, um, or make it work now, but now that I'm out officially of the military as of two days ago, um, you know, we won't have to deal with some of those, those struggles as much, but it's been an incredible, uh, job and career. And I'm just so grateful to have been able to go down the, this road and to serve our soldiers and to, uh, being able to practice in a military environment, which there's a lot of advantage advantages to. And I'm, uh, I'm don't know exactly what's coming next, but, uh, I feel like, I feel like God's prepared me for something big and I'm excited for it. And you talk about service, right? And that's kind of in, in two different ways with what you are doing service to your country and enlisting or sorry, and being an officer, this is you know, simple, simple person talk over here. Um, <clears throat> but going into the army is a service and then choosing the job in there is to serve others is to serve other soldiers. And so it's almost like a, like a twofold was that, I mean, what drew you towards, was it, I wanted to be in the army and then physical therapy, or I want to be a physical therapist. And then it, it came into the army. What stopped you from just doing a regular practice, not in the military? Yeah, there's multiple facets to the, to the answer uh, to that question. So my family, uh, my aunt and my uncle and my best friend all have a history of, of serving in the military. And so it's, it's always been something I was interested in. Physical therapy is something that helped me a lot as an athlete getting uh, getting injured, kind of the typical story, getting injured in high school. So it, it also had always interest me, interested me. I started out physical therapy when I first got to college, but then what I saw on the civilian side, I didn't really like um, for, for multiple reasons, mainly because a lot of uh, insurance companies just kind of dictate how you treat patients uh, or they have the ability to because they choose what they'll pay for and what they won't. And so I saw a lot of people just getting put on hot packs for 10 minutes. They'd get 10 minutes with the physical therapist and, and the problem, the insurance payouts are getting smaller too. And so in order to make ends meet, a lot of these PTs in traditional settings have to see like 20 plus people a day, which then you lose the effectiveness of it. And, and it just wasn't something I saw myself doing. And, and so when I found out about the Army Baylor program, well, it's perfect. And this was after I even graduated undergrad, but I was like, how did I not know about this? It's so perfect. Like they pay for the school, so you don't have to have six figure debt, you know, going into this career as a young 20 something. And you get to work with an active like military population. It's all under TRICARE, one single payer insurance system. They just want you to treat to the best of your knowledge and take care of the soldier. You get to order imaging. You can act as a direct access provider. So basically the soldiers don't need to go to their primary care or any other specialty before I can see them with a musculoskeletal injury, which significantly uh, improves effectiveness of what we do. The sooner that I can get them in, the more, the bigger difference I can make faster instead versus it turning into a long-term injury. It's a whole different um, game as far as, you know, what we're trying to recover from at that point. And so, uh, yeah, there were all of these things that it was like, man, this is amazing if I could pull it off. And I applied the first year kind of late in the game, didn't get in, 
um, kind of had to do some soul searching, had some other opportunities, but I'm like, no, this is it. I felt, felt called to it and applied again. And, uh, thank God got in. And I'm glad it worked out that way because, you know, like I said, my wife was in my class and, uh, our class was amazing. And, uh, I, yeah, that's kind of what drove me there though. That's, I mean, it's, it's incredible when you think about, I mean, knowing the military routes and all these different things, like having those options available, but you think about the ability to treat and, and how much more effective it is in the military. I mean, I had, I, you know, shattered my leg and I remember physical therapy. It was like, you're going to this every day for six months or else it is not like you are not following your orders. And even though after I was like, I was healthy, I was good. Like it was still, and that's why I have, I'm like, my ankle is a hundred percent. And, and that's, that's incredible in the military, but is there a way to then now that you are out and we'll, we can talk about kind of those reasons about, about the reason you got out, but is there a way to take that from the military and bring it into a civilian you know, area, maybe it's not the 20 people, but maybe it's still increasing the efficacy of what you're doing per client, but in the way that you want to do it. Definitely. So there's a big push right now within the PT community to, um, towards a cash-based practice. And what people are realizing, what clinicians are realizing is like, oh, I've, you know, I can, I, I have a doctorate, like it's okay to charge people money. But a lot of people get into the profession because they want to serve people. So they, they have this weird dynamic of, you know, financial, uh, I don't want to say insecurity, but just like a difficult time charging people what they're worth. And so what they're realizing now, though, is like, hey, it's uh, it's worth a hell of a lot if I can stop someone from having to go into a life changing surgery and, you know, be out of their job or whatever for six months. Um, or if I can't play with my kids or my grandkids and now we get them to us to that spot, that's worth a lot. And people are realizing it when they're going to these cash based settings, they're realizing they're actually able to achieve these goals because the quality of care increases so much because now you're charging a little bit of money and you don't have to see 20 people a day. You could see five or six and still, you know, be totally fine. And so you have more energy, you have more time with that patient and you can make a bigger impact. And so it's, it's a difficult concept in the sense that, well, not everybody can afford that. And so it's like, there's no easy answer. There's no like easy fix to the healthcare problem that exists throughout the country, not just in within physical therapy, but many sectors of it. And healthcare in the military is not perfect at all. There's a lot of issues that you see. Um, but bottom line is like, if, if we want to keep the best PTs within our profession and not get them burnt out or just kind of like, you know, despising going to work. I think that this is like the best road ahead that we currently have available. Just like anything you pay for what you get, right? Mm -hmm. You can find, if people want to try to find the cheapest way to get physical therapy, they're going to probably get the cheapest form of physical therapy. And <clears throat> I see that in the training world. There are times when people will charge large amounts for their time. And it's like, well, this is what I'm going to invest into you. And this is what I'm doing. And there's some gyms that charge a lot more when they put that type of care into it. But you are a physical therapist, but you're also incredibly well-trained in actual training, which I think 
all physical therapists should be because that's usually what can stop people from having to go to physical therapy and then keep people healthier afterwards. But let's talk about your fitness journey. And especially I think because during your time in the army, they kind of changed a lot of the settings for what the, what the baseline test was and into a lot more functional standpoint and the things that are a lot more applicable rather than, Hey, every six months you're going to run a mile and a half and try to do as many pushups as possible. And it's like, is that really the most effective thing? So I want to hear a little bit more about like your fitness outside of just the physical therapy side and then kind of what you saw changed in the army. Yeah. So they've, they've done a lot of made a lot of recent changes in the army that I think are very well, have great intentions and, and they're starting to figure out how to finally implement it well. But the idea is they're realizing that we're spending billions of dollars every year on healthcare that is that a lot of which maybe many of these issues could have been prevented if we changed the way that we focused on our healthcare. We looked at things from more of a preventative standpoint. So now we're, they're bringing in, in each brigade, they're bringing in athletic trainers, dietitians, physical therapists, strength coaches to get people not only training more functionally, but, but doing it the right way. And so as a part of that, they switched the, as you alluded to, they switched the health test or the physical fitness test um, from the APFT, which is Army Physical Fitness Test or whatever, to um, ACFT, the Army Combat Fitness Test. And that includes a three rep max deadlift with a hex bar. It has a standing power throw. It has a sprint drag carry with some different kettlebells and weights and stuff and um, more of kind of like that middle ground between like short burst and like long duration. And then they have um, a knee tuck, which actually they switched to the plank, which I have some thoughts about that, but they incorporated some form of pulling there for a while, which was good. And then they kept in the two mile run. And so you still have some aerobic, aerobic endurance event there. And so it's a much more functional, well-rounded test and, the, the issue is, is like you'd have a lot of soldiers that they train for the APFT and they would uh, just run and do a lot of pushups and stuff. But now they're, and they're used to maxing their tests. So they're expecting to max this new test and good for their career and everything else. And so then they just get thrown into heavy deadlifting or and try to lift too heavy too soon. And so I would see a lot of injuries and stuff around that. And so there was a lot of education like, Hey, you can't, if you haven't deadlifted in three years, you can't just throw 350 on the bar and go for it, you know? And so, um, it's, it, it was a challenging transition and the, they're still in like a transition phase, but I think the thought behind it, the premise behind it is spot on. And that's what we need to continue to do. Not only from an army standpoint, but as a country, you know, and focus on, on uh, well-rounded functional fitness. That's not just going to you know, allow you to like, how often in the army are we running two miles realistically? Like not very often, unless you're in some kind of unique combat environment where you have, you know, you have the mission requires it. And sometimes that happens, but more often it, it requires things like, uh, you know, that require power deadlift or the power throw, um, you know, those types of things are much more applicable. And the, the Rangers have been 
doing these types of tests for probably 20 years. Mm. And so like the saying is Rangers lead the way. And so the rest of the army typically, typically follows, unfortunately they're in my opinion, a little too far behind sometimes. I know um, CrossFit's been working with the army and they, they started a one day level one course and not to be like, Hey, now you know what you're doing, but more of like a, here's a way to start to implement this stuff. Because I agree. And we talked about this yesterday. It's like putting the horse before the carriage um, or carried for the horse. <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, that test is way better, but how are people training for this? The test with no training is probably not optimal. So I know there's been some courses in implementation of how can we start to effectively train to succeed at this test? Because that's really what's important. It's like the test is making sure that you're training well, the test shouldn't be, you know, the only thing that you focus on. It should be, hey, I'm training so much and I'm training so well that I can still hold my standards, but then do my job. I feel like way too often it's just focused on here's the only, like the test is the important part. Once you pass it, it's like, all right, good. Yeah, there's a lot of people that that's the only way that they would train is to uh, do the test, the events of the test, in, which is fine, you know, if, if that that's what they want to do. But that was another piece of education that had to come in. It's like, hey, your barbell squat may be more important in your deadlift performance than just doing that all the time, you know, developing that strength and power through, through the prime, you know, movers of the leg. And so there's a lot of cross, even including incorporating things like yoga, because from like the holistic side, they're trying to uh, look at things like why, you know, mental illness is so prevalent in the army and the suicide rate is ridiculous. So we have to start looking at, you know, how can we manage uh, manage anxiety and depression within the army on on again, more of a preventative side. And so incorporating, um, one thing that we did in my unit, we incorporated a lot of like yoga and meditation work, especially on like, uh, you know, towards the end of the week and trying to bring the nervous system back down a little bit, improve some mobility or cause the mobility is terrible with so many soldiers. They just like ignore it and don't think about it. And so, you know, when you get into a deep squat or a deadlift and you you don't have any ankle dorsiflexion that that mobility has to come from somewhere a lot of times it's a low back when it's not you're not supposed to be moving the low back and so um a lot of education and in, in, in incorporating for me now like the most important thing that i've realized is like if if we're not looking at some of these holistic things in the mental side i think that we're missing the boat because unless you know unless you get that person that soldier that comes in and they're completely squared away and they don't have any you know high stress in their life and but the issue is i think even with like most americans we don't think we're under a lot of stress but that's just because we're a lot of stress to us is like ridiculous amounts of stress and so like just like that chronic moderate level of stress is just normal even though it's it probably shouldn't be. And so, uh, you know, taking more of an Eastern mindset, Eastern medicine mindset to some of this stuff. And cause cortisol, the stress hormone, it's supposed to be really high in the morning and then slowly drift down at night where when melatonin's coming up and that's how we maintain our natural sleep cycle and, and rhythm in life. And we know how important sleep is, but what, what happens is, you know, I saw a lot of these kids or by talking to them, they're, they'd be playing stimulating video games or on social media late at night, 
pounding energy drinks. And so they're keeping that cortisol super high. And what happens over time is you start to decrease your testosterone production in women. Um, you lose your pres progesterone, uh, levels, which can make it difficult to reproduce or to, um, conceive a child. And so, but then it, it just ends up making you feel terrible and lack of energy, mental health issues and all these other things. And so, uh, it comes back to education on the side there, but also maybe there's enough stressors in our jobs in our life as it is. Let's pull back from some of these things that we we're bringing in un, you know, unintentionally a lot of times, but that we're adding in and replace it with something healthy, like a, you know, yoga meditation or, or whatever way, even a walk, you know, whatever way can bring that those cortisol levels down, get you back in a good rhythm and performing optimally. Is there, <clears throat> cause I, I mean, I agree and whether I agree or not, I mean, it's, you know, what you're saying is fantastic. I agree wholeheartedly, but anytime we have like discussions like this, I always try to give someone because sometimes the listeners are exactly who we're speaking about or to in people who need to de-stress and do that. Sometimes people are at the highest level who are already doing all this stuff, but is there something that you can give to someone listening to this right now about, Hey, what's one thing I can do to start? What's one thing I can do that can start pushing the needle in the opposite or in the right direction, whether it is mental health, physical, physical health, nutrition, whatever it is. My challenge to a lot of people is just to decrease the amount of the volume of input that you are putting into your brain every day. We already, like I said, we already have so much stimulation, so many things going on. Most of us do, um, you know, wherever it's feasible, take a time during the evening where you can just put your phone on the charger and just not look at it, not have it by your side. Just there's been studies shown just having it around can increase anxiety levels and stress hormones and these things. And so, um, it doesn't, I'm not telling everyone, you know, go delete your social media account or, you know, never watch TV or anything, but just like have some time, even if you're driving in your car, like maybe don't play music for 20 minutes or whatever, just have some time for your subconscious to process all the shit that's going on and all the crazy things that are happening in life. And, um, for me, that's helped, you know, it, I don't add anything. I literally just take things away. It's nothing difficult. It's just helped me uh, come to a bit more place of, of stillness. And, and especially with, you know, some of the health issues and stuff I've had going on recently, I've been seeking more of that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's easy to kind of, to implement for sure. I think that's wonderful. And it's something that people can do not next week, but today, right now, speaking of, <clears throat> you know, you had mentioned like, you know, health issues and stuff. What is it that brought you in town aside from, Oh, by the way, Tyler's my cousin. <laughs> um, so when he talks about, you know, growing up and aunts and uncles in that, um, you know, we grew up together in Spokane before I moved over to the gig Harbor side. So, uh, we have a large and absolutely insane family, um, from his grandma being my godmother and one of 14, right? 13. Oh, yeah, total, sisters. Yeah, yeah. One of 14 with an amount of cousins that you just, just unfathomable now. So aside from just coming to visit me because, um, we have to have a good time. What is it that brought you here? And I guess I want to preface this about being like the state of mind that you are in and the conversations we've been having over the last 24 hours have been incredible, even more so incredible because of um, what's going on with you and, and why you're here and, and a lot of that stuff for you to be as present and as, um, I don't know, just uh, 
just to be the way that you are, I think is, is incredible in itself, but I want kind of listeners to kind of understand and, and see, you know, kind of peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the compliment. It's been a lot of work to kind of get to this point, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm very grateful to have found the tools that I use to kind of get me, uh, into the right state of mind. And it's a practice, right? It's never perfected. There's always good days and bad days, but, um, continue to work on it. So basically I'm here for the, uh, Cordoma cancer conference, which is the form of, uh, cancer I have in my spine. Um, well, hopefully it's gone now. We don't really know for sure, but we'll get an MRI here pretty soon. Uh, so kind of quick backstory. It was about May of 2022. I uh, got an MRI because I've been having some chronic neck pain that was getting uh, ridiculous, meaning it was going into my arm. And uh, I was just going to kind of keep, you know, head down working hard. But my boss, I'd kind of mentioned it in passing. And she's like, hey, go get an MRI. Like, this has been going on long enough. Like, just go get it checked out. And so there ended up being a big tumor that, like, took up, like, basically three uh, lengths of my uh, vertebral bodies from, uh, like my C7 vertebral body at the base of the neck through, uh, T3 roughly. Uh, and so it was a, a good size thing. And so, you know, threw me off. I went, cause like being a, uh, it, being practicing in the military, I could just pull it up myself for, you know, pretty much right after I got it. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, that doesn't look good. And so I went and talked to an ortho doc and he's like, yeah, he, he wasn't like a neuro surgeon or anything like that. So he didn't really know a lot about it. He's like, I definitely would like get a referral to neuro and like get this checked out the radiologist. Cause we, we took another MRI with contrast because usually that will kind of light up uh, if it's cancerous and it didn't. So the radiologist thought it was benign and, um, my neuro, the, the neurosurgeon I ended up getting referred to thought it was benign. I got another uh, opinion basically it's just a really rare form of cancer. And so it's a lot of, uh, those professionals don't recognize it cause it doesn't look like a lot of cancer looks like. And he thought it was coming off of the nerve root and that it was, uh, diagnosed it as a schwannoma, which is benign, but he's like, we should probably take it out because it's taken up a lot of space and it, you know, it's causing symptoms in your arms. So we should probably get it out of there to really to at least relieve the pressure. Um, so in October of 2022, so actually right after that, I ended up signing up for a bodybuilding competition, which there's a kind of a backstory to that, but I'll just kind of keep things rolling here. But I ended up, uh, you know, prepping hard for the bodybuilding competition and about a month before my surgery, I stopped having the symptoms into my arm. And now looking back at it and what, from what I've learned recently, I think the only big change was that I basically had my blood sugar so tightly controlled because I was eating so, so good and so strict that it was like starving those cancer cells. And it, it was kind of cool to look back on because it was like, Hey, I can have, you know, some level of control to how this thing responds to my body. I think too often we look to doctors or whoever to just cure us and, you know, move on with life. But kind of what I've been getting at with some of this is, there's so much that we can do to influence, you know, I, I talked about how negative stress can be on the body. Well, like if we incorporate some of these, these things that I have and, and just kind of changing the way I think about some things, it's, it's taken a lot of the fear out of my life, which can influence cortisol and kind of come back to this whole 
um, this whole picture of health. And because also, if you have too much cortisol, that negatively impacts your immune system, which does a lot of work to fight cancer as well. So, um, getting to the back to the story. So, bodybuilding competition October first, October fifteenth. I have my surgery. Wake up, and the surgeon's like, "Went great. We got it all." And then come to find out not only did he not get it all, like not even really close, but uh, that it was cancerous and found that out in November. And then thank God I had the Cordoma Foundation who's putting on the conference this weekend, but they connected me with all the best specialists and uh, was able to get the MRIs sent to the people who needed to see it for me to get the best opinions. And, and the consensus was that I needed to go get another surgery in uh, January was when I ended up getting that one January this year and they the surgeon was amazing I was like I was on the table for like seven hours but it went great he was able to get everything but that tissue that he kind of had to cut through or whatever was already pretty beat up from the first surgery so the recovery was really rough and you know I'm used to being uh, pretty high speed and like you said train pretty hard and so there was a lot of energy that wasn't getting out, just laying around and having to take pain meds and feeling like shit. And, you know, my mom's waiting on me and stuff like that. And so it was, it was a struggle. But like, once I got through that, it's like the old cliches, like wasn't kill you makes you stronger. It's been, um, it's been game changing for me mentally to like get one of the, you know, what you'd think is like the worst diagnoses are like worst news you can get and to see kind of like bringing it back to hurricane sandy how those people lost so much but like you could still find peace and contentment and and let go of a lot of the stuff you can't control and it just it makes life so much it's not like life's easy but when you can get out of your own way and stop wasting so much energy fighting yourself it just frees you up to to focus on what matters and to to for me and like my journey to hopefully you know impact more people and i appreciate you having me on because i love doing stuff like this and trying to reach a bigger audience is is a lot of my mission and um I'm, yeah like i said i'm excited for, for what the future holds and, and so basically yeah i have another mri coming up in uh september but the last one showed there's no tumor rema- remaining i had two months of radiation in atlanta and i'm still recovering from some from some of the side effects of that but uh, yeah, I've been able to get the best care basically available in the world uh, for this and um, so grateful for that and for my boss for like, hey, go get an MRI like before and you know, this thing, we got a CT in my lungs, it hasn't spread anywhere. So, you know, I, knowing me, I probably would have waited longer and it, it could have spread and it been a way worse situation. But for right now, it seems well controlled. And um, yeah, I end up doing a medical separation from the military and which also brings some, some peace of mind knowing like I'm covered with health insurance and stuff like that uh, moving forward. But yeah, that's kind of the synopsis. You said something, you said... <clears throat> makes life easier than you go. Well, not easier, but, um, how I see that, or, or it's like, it makes life simpler, not easy, but, but simple. And we, you know, we were talking about this last night about success. You know, it's always like, oh, I've, I've found success in this or that I'm successful and successful people and what they're doing. How do you, <clears throat> you know, you put your resume up and anyone can read it and be like, that's a successful person which I agree, but I don't think the things that you've 
done or your accomplishments is what makes you successful. How do you measure success? It's a great question. Uh, coming back to John Wooden, his definition is um, success is peace of mind that's basically only achieved through knowing that you put in the, the most effort to become of, like the most of which you were capable of becoming. And so it's for me, it's always been more of an effort oriented definition, not like because everyone has different talents and you know goes into different types of professions that might be money making might not be but if you're putting in all the, like your best effort every day like that's all that really matters but sometimes like we were talking about last night sometimes if you're an intense person that energy all of that effort and energy can get you going in the wrong direction if you don't have the right priorities behind that effort and energy that you're putting in and so that's something that I've had to change my frame of mind about. It's like, well, if I'm spending two hours on my morning routine and doing yoga, meditation, sauna, cold plunge, all this stuff that seems like, you know, you do on a, or at least for me, like that I might do on a vacation, you know, vacation, like it's not the traditional view of work, you know, it's, you're not go out and going out and producing. Um, but what I'm realizing is it's almost like the most important work that there is because if I can get my mind to a place of, of stillness, it affects everything about my, the physiology in my body and it helps me stay focused on what I'm doing and actually perform better and not in my head and like worrying about things I can't control or, you know, fighting against the reality of what is it's like these things um, in, in breath work, I incorporate a lot of as well are, uh, are super important. And so I'm trying to work on giving myself some grace to like focus on these things. And even if it's like getting up a little bit, you know, a little bit earlier, we talk about sleep's important. Well, sometimes like I, I think giving up an hour of sleep to get these practices in, uh, it's, it's worth it because you can, <clears throat> you can get to a place of rest and a good meditation practice, especially after some breath work that is just as restorative, if not more restorative uh, than sleep. And so um, I, again, just looking at it as this is an effort-based thing that doesn't have a very clear like impact, uh, direct impact. But I think over time, especially if you're consistent with these practices, it has kind of like a similar effect as like compound interest. It just kind of builds on itself over time. And that's where I'm starting to finally kind of see more of the fruits of my labor now um, because of just like the fact I've been consistent with it for so long, I think. I was, while you were chatting, I was pulling up a post <clears throat> that I wrote May 7th, 2021. And it was at right after I read your book. And um, I just wanted to share it because it's something that's really helped me with, with content that I read from your book. So it's inspired by my cousin, T-SIM2310. Um, DR145 had a couple thoughts today at this very moment. And it says, in the quote, what do you want in the world that you don't already have? And then another one, it says, how much success until you'll be content or happy. And I had this kind of epiphany and it was, and I was at a, you know, a, like we talked about, it was at a time in my life that probably seemed really awesome. 
but it was it was a very there was a lot of stuff going on in my head and in a relatively dark place but i wrote after just kind of my like my synopsis of, of how i was feeling was maybe i've always had everything i've ever needed with the exception of my own approval my life sure as shit isn't perfect sorry for swearing but man, do I have a lot of beautiful people in it, including the center of my world right next to me, which was my daughter. And, uh, and then I said, it's hard to appreciate, it's hard to appreciate when my own worst enemy is next to her, meaning like myself. And it's like, what you said, it's like just kind of like getting out of your own way. And I was around a bunch of people that had <clears throat> all the money in the world, more than all the, yet they still wanted more. And it was like, all of all of everything that you're like man that'd be great to have once i had that man that'd be cool and i didn't see any level of happiness that i was envious of and when i was reading your book and especially like after like really right after the you know hurricane sandy and your experience there and it's like what does it take to be happy like what's the minimum amount that one person needs to achieve true happiness and it's definitely not money sure i'm not being like hey just give up all your stuff like it can help you in, in some ways but it was really inspiring to me to realize like hey maybe maybe you've got everything and maybe just you know not being so hard on yourself and being hard on yourself can help in a lot of different ways but it was a really big it was a, it was a focal point um or as they say in the, as air force pilots um it was a focal turning point um, it's usually what happens when things, when things start going wrong. But like, this was the point when I was like, it started turning and changing my idea of what I wanted to be successful and started enjoying the things that I have and the people that I have. And, and that kind of changed my definition of success. And you said yesterday, it was like, there's not a lot of like successful people that don't have some version of service in their life. And we had kind of discussed afterwards and it's like, I don't think there's a lot of truly happy people that don't have some level of service in their life. I meet mean, a lot of people that have success financially, but maybe not a lot of service to others or things for other people. And I think that that has a major component to it. And I think that everything that I've known of you since, you know, we grew up together as little kids. And then to now it's like, there's a lot of pieces that are service to others, but you can't serve others if you're not serving yourself to take care of yourself. So it's like the more you're taking care of you, the more you're able to, you know, you can't fill others' cups until yours is full. So everything you've done is, is incredibly inspiring. But I feel like that that is a level of success that you've kind of changed on me and in service to others and like true happiness. Thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. It's been a journey for me to get there for sure. I grew up as an only child and so I'm used to having like a lot of focus on myself and I that's easily if I if I'm not careful where I tend to uh to come back to is like my default is just kind of really selfish. And like you said you have to take care of yourself and you need to uh fill up your own cup and it has to be overflowing and if you're going to take care of others really well but uh you know it can, it can get out of hand pretty quickly in coming back to the idea of happiness. You know, I do think what you're saying has a lot of validity in the sense that it's it, in some sense, it's a choice, right? You can say, I'm going to be happy when this happens, or I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be happy if this, if I get a cancer diagnosis, if I get a divorce, if this happens, like you're already setting yourself up for 
failure if you're you know you're thinking like that like that your happiness is conditional on things going to your plan and like part of everything that you're saying and a huge part of my journey has been my faith and being able to let go of some of those things i think that god has control over so many things that happen in this universe and you know the way i view our lives is we're we're kind of like a river that's just flowing along and there's always going to be or water in that river there's always going to be rocks like that you're going to hit along the way that's just how life is none of us just go through it scot you know scot free but when you hit that rock the water keeps on flowing life keeps on going along and in my view if it's not in this world it's in another one your spirit keeps kind of going along after that and you might as well, so our time here we're sitting in the middle of this you know rotating freaking rock in the middle of nothing you nowhere you know and we're only here for a short amount of time so you can choose to touch into that happiness and just enjoy the circumstances you got and it's difficult because you want to find the way i've been talking is like make it sounds like i just want to be like a monk and just sit and meditate all day and like the world's perfect and i don't have to do anything no i think that's that's in some sense like a, a a failure because i think we're he, we are here to impact other people and to find whatever version of that we're best at and so i that's where um i found if i do focus on the service component what how can i best serve others like the money and everything ends up kind of flowing after that but so happiness is a choice but also you can um guide your life in a way to do things that make you happy. And like you said for me that has been service. And in some sense that sounds like oh you're just doing it from like a selfish component, maybe so. I'm still I'm still helping that person, you know. There's still in in for me it it comes more of a, from a place of like I have so much gratitude and love for God and what he's done for me, what Jesus did for me in going through this horrible torturous death to, to like save me and that God was willing to, to do that. Like that fills me up. Now I want to go extend that. I want to go carry that energy forward and like, you know, so follow him, you know, what, what he says in the Bible and, and serve his kingdom the best that I can. And that, and that fills me up at a deeper, much deeper level than traditional success, you know, would. If you had to simplify, you know, how to help someone find their own, you know, way. Because I, when you said, I, I agreed, and it like hits me home when people are like, what I'm doing is selfish. A lot of the times when I'm helping a client or, or a lot of the stuff that I do, it's like I'm helping other people. But that feeling that I get from them when they see success and they're happy makes me feel good and help. But I don't know if that's the same case for everyone. So from like a from like a faith perspective or from a from a mental like clarity perspective, you know, what is what are things that other people can do to to start on that journey or to figure that out? I think that you need to focus on taking care of yourself. Um this is like a fitness podcast, right? Or like a health type podcast. So, yeah, be fit, be, baby. <laughs> so it, you have to 
have incorporating or focusing on these basic health hygiene practices of we talked about some stillness we talked to uh, we haven't talked about but like nutrition uh blocking time out for sleep um staying it doesn't have to be a cross you know a workout routine that you're used to a crazy crossfit routine but just get started walking like search shoot for ten thousand steps start there start somewhere and just kind of try to keep getting better and so like i'm saying like i don't want to be just like meditating all day being a monk but i'm i'm always seeking for improvement and i think that as long as you're getting better every day and you're and you're consistent right so like a lot of people know that they're supposed to do these things and then they end up doing them for a week or or even less and like i'm not seeing the results i'm just gonna go back to doing what i was doing and what i'm what i'm comfortable with and i promise you if you stick with it doesn't have to be all of these things at once but just adding one new thing a month you know and just sticking with it for that month like you're going to start to feel so much better and things are going to open up. Other things are going to open up in your life and you'll, you'll see things a little bit different way because you're able to think clearer, just having your basic health taking uh, care of. And, and I think the, uh, like I talked about before, the number one thing that I would focus on with most people in America is stress management and think about how you are, how you are thinking about, your life and, and what you're kind of uh, worrying about and if you really have control over those things that you're worrying about. And I, I was in like a mastermind group that focused on, um, on this specifically on kind of the mental side and I got a ton out of it. It's called, if anyone wants to Google it, it's called Integrated Human Performance and it's, it's an exceptional program. I think I'm actually going to start coaching for that program here pretty soon. And I still have a lot of like work to do and learn about, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of depth. It's 10 weeks. And so a lot more that I could like go in than I could go into today. Uh, but it's hard to answer your question because everyone is so different from like where they're starting at either from like, you know, a stress level or a health level fitness and so that's why I just think it's just, you have to be number one, be consistent and then try to get better. Keep trying to get better. You, you mentioned one thing, try one thing. And I looked at Hurley and he was taking a sip of his, is that black coffee over there? Yeah. When, <clears throat> you know, cause he has to sit here and listen to me like, like, you know, ramble on about all sorts of different topics and, and we talked about when I was, I was like making fun of someone, I'm like, maybe you don't like coffee. If you go and you get some like caramel macchiato double pump thing, maybe you don't like coffee. You just like having milkshakes in the morning. You like having dessert for breakfast. And he was like, man, I got to start drinking black coffee. So, um, what do you think Hurley? Has that, has it helped you? Do you feel better after, uh, it, re removing your, your dessert for breakfast? I mean, I won't lie. I haven't removed it, <laughs> but I'm trying to drink black coffee more often. Yes. So. When you do, do you do you feel better? Have you seen since we've since we've kicked off this podcast? Have you seen more results? And not that I anything I'm doing for you, but in the in the consistency and training and set and diet stuff that you've been doing. Oh yeah, yeah, just like yeah for diet training all that. It's been it's been very noticeable over the year. 
Yeah, and it's not just me. I mean, we, there's the the built by Byron girls. Are you still going on Saturdays? No, and my mom hasn't either. Um, I want to get her back. We're firing it back <laughs> up this week. Well, because we go up to our lake house in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire, so on the weekends, so she'll have to do one during the week. Yeah, I'll get her back in. Don't worry. But even seeing your consistency, it was funny. There was I was some video or picture that we posted, and or it was like after a class, and you had your shirt off. Someone was like. How long has Hurley been working out? I was like, just once. He worked out one time with me, and that's what he looks like. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> you got to come on down. But uh, no, it's, you're right. It could be, I'm going to drink a liter of water a day, and that could be the impetus. That could be the driving force that drives people to find consistency. You know, uh, this, um, I don't want to mislabel her nutritionist. She has pretty much every degree you could have for nutrition, but she even talks about like multivitamins being a mental win because you can consistently do something for 30 days in a row. And it's like, it almost gives you that, like that, it's like that snowball effect. You take a multivitamin, is it doing anything? I don't know. But you know, if it's a placebo and you start feeling better and you start and you're, you're now you're able, okay, I'm just going to go to the gym for five minutes a day. It's like, just start, you know, I'm, recorded a sound bite before this talking about um, people that run in public that are overweight or don't have their ideal bodies and how inspiring that is to just start. And I don't think I'm like, okay, yeah, everyone just go run and you'll be fit, but just starting somewhere, anywhere. And you know, you had good pieces. It's like, Hey, just an hour, plug your phone in, get rid. As soon as you say that to me and now I'm just like motor mouthing, but there's been multiple times where I've left my cell phone at home in the morning when I go to train. And there's been times where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go back to get it right away. And it's like this, I'm like, it sounds so stupid, but I like feel free. Like I, even if someone's messaging me, I can't, I don't know. And I can't check it. So I can't check my phone. So I may as well just you know, be here and work out. And you're, I think that's something that I need to start doing like paying or, or, or focus on doing more. Well, the fact that you even left it there, is a really good sign because most people are so tied to it that there's no way that they're going to leave their phone at home. And so that, I think that kind of shows that you're on the, on the right track there, but kind of what you're saying in the sense of choose that one thing and be consistent with it. I think it starts to build self-confidence, which is incredibly important in every aspect of life. Like if you say you're going to do something and you, and you do it, that it starts to, you start to believe in yourself and like, the power of belief, I think, can be the most uh, powerful thing that we have. And if it's in ourselves, like, watch out because you're going to be able to accomplish, you know, everything that you or many things that you want to if you continue to improve upon that. So, because once you, it's like an upward spiral. Like, things can be a downward spiral if you're going the opposite direction and you're never doing anything you say you're going to do or you want to do. But start to build some momentum with these things and it can really build on itself to a point where you're, you look back, uh, you know, 10 years down the road and it's hard to recognize that person. Or it's like, you know, sometimes with me, it's like you said, there's been like achievements and things that, that I've done. Um, but it was like, it was none of it was overnight. It all builds on itself slowly over time. You get a little bit better every day as you've, you know, you've accomplished and done so much too. But it, and then you, you look back and you're like, wow, I've really grown so much, but it wasn't anything. No, there's no secret. It was just putting in that work every single day. You know? It's funny 
because some people are probably looking at this like, like, is that like a 16 year old Miles Teller that's like telling us this stuff? But it's so cool to see you as my like little cousin and, and see like the accomplishments and that stuff and, and know from my own experience, like it doesn't happen. You didn't say, Hey, I'm going to be, I want to be an army PT and they say, here you go. And you're like, okay, cool. Or I'm going to like do this. It's like, this is one step in the right direction. And there's, there's a thousand steps that happen before that decision is even made. And there's a thousand steps that happen before you're even capable of, of having those thoughts of harvesting those thoughts. And, um, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. I'm so excited that, uh, that you're here and, and hopefully that everyone can share the same passion and excitement towards your story and your journey uh, that I do and that I know our entire family of 7,000 people do. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been awesome to be here and your, uh, your heart is like very, it's very like evident to see where your heart is at and not only your personal life, but like what you're doing here too. And it makes me really excited for you and for like the company that you're a part of and, and I, and the people I've been able to meet, I'm getting the same vibes from. And so I think that you guys are just going to keep, you know, change the world one person at a time. It's exciting to see. Thanks brother. Well, I feel, I feel the same about you. And if people that are listening to this want to find you, what is the best way to one, get a hold of you? What are your social? I know we have like the social media chat, but what, what are the ways that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, so when you had written that post, I had a different handle. So it's at tsim, T-S-I-M-M dot D-P-T on Instagram. It's probably the best place to reach me. And if you go into my Instagram, which is at Connor T. Murphy, C-O-N-O-R-T-M-U-R-P-H-Y, under my Hoobie link has like a link tree you can get my book recommendations. And actually the only one in there is the uh, DR 145. Uh, if you are interested in reading his book, it, it did a lot for me. Like I, I talked about in that post, I didn't want to be you know, too much talking about my experiences. We were here to learn from Tyler, but it was a, again, a pivotal point in my life where you really, um, you just really put it into a very good perspective. And maybe it was so cool to me because I know you and we grew up together, but I don't know that much about you. But knowing how genuine it was coming from you, it really helped me. So hopefully other people can um, share that same experience and, and support you in the book that you wrote. And probably not the probably not one of one. Yeah, I hope not. I'm, I started to work on a, a new one. But I really appreciate you saying that. It's it's a very personal story, and so it was tough to put out there because uh, I you know I went through a lot of tough uh, tough times, like from the sense of I wasn't who I wanted to be in different parts of my life and putting some of that out and some relationship struggles and things like that was tough. And so to get that feedback, uh, you know, means a lot to me and, and makes it all worth it. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. And again, you guys can follow us at bignightfitness.com. Mm, that's our website. You can follow us at big night fitness on Instagram, bignightfitness.com. It has links to the podcast, has links to, uh, events and all the stuff that we have going on again, just kind of one day at a time trying to uh, create, a community for health and wellness and that's all aspects of it and being able to highlight people like Tyler and trainers and everyone around this area and giving them the credit they deserve because a lot of times it's you know it's the celebrities and the athletes that get a lot of um they get that top level stuff and it is our goal with big night fitness and with big night to make sure that the the people um who are really working for it deserve it and, and get to see that same kind of spotlight see you guys next week Bye.